Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning, once again, to the 12th chapter of the letter written to the Hebrews, where we will be considering together just the final verses of that 12th chapter this morning, picking up with verse 25 and reading through verse 29. As we make our way through this wonderful book of the Bible, and we close out this 12th chapter and we are nearing ever getting ever closer to the end of this book, I think it's very good for us to sort of pause here and be reminded of something that we ought to indeed be thankful for. Something that I am certain, if you are like me, that we often forget and perhaps even take for granted. One of the things that I've come to realize as I've studied uh, not only the closing chapters of what is arguably the one of the most Christ-exalting books in all of Scripture. But really, as I look to the Word of God in general, one of the truths that I constantly come up against is that some of the most wonderful times in my life, and especially in my ministry thus far, have been those which have been born through very real, very present difficulty. As is usually the case in any new year, I've been reflecting not only on the past year, which how can we not reflect on the past year, but really the past 12 or 13 years of my life since God first brought me here to this pulpit at Peace Reformed Church. Believe it or not, I believe last December marked my 13th year anniversary since I first came to this pulpit. And as I've reflected on the last 13 years of my life and God's work in my life, I've come to know for certain that it has been through the heat of trial that I have most felt the comforting hand of God in my life. I think back to the difficult time, and some of you were here for it, but that difficult time of of preparing and eventually sustaining my licensure and ordination exams in the RCUS all the way back in March of 2010. It really was a difficult time in my life. A time where there just never seemed to be enough hours in the day, a time of feeling the painful sting of my own failure and disappointment. And then it leads me to think that in April of that year, I can remember very vividly being absolutely overwhelmed to see the outpouring of love from this congregation and to be in that joyfully charged atmosphere that existed here that night that we welcomed Pastor Potter and Pastor Bryce to come and be a part of my ordination, my installation service. Really was one of those markedly happy times in my life that I am so thankful to Almighty God for, something I'll always treasure. Though there were some anxious and difficult times in that process, it was the love of God's people through it all that sustained me. There are, of course, other instances of blessing during real difficulty that stand out to me as I reflect on the last several years. It's hard for me to believe that it's already been 11 years since my father, Darrell Altman, was called home to glory. Of course, that's only one of so many losses during my time as pastor here. There have certainly been many other difficult losses in the life of our congregation. I think we know 
that we all know that sting of those losses both here as well as the losses that we've experienced, many of us, with our extended families and our friends. The mourning and the sorrow are still fresh for many of us as we think of that void that has been left in our life as we have over the last decade or so lost so many of those whom we love so dearly. Yet the church has remained sure. It has been there for comforting, for showing each other the love of Jesus, albeit imperfectly, even and especially in the presence of very real pain and sorrow. I think back to that dreadful September Saturday afternoon when Bianca fell victim to a a freak and very sudden accident, one that immediately changed the way that our family would function for the next several months as she recuperated from shattering her heel and from the three surgeries that followed that accident. I myself have had two hips replaced during my time here. And I even needed to go back to working a second job in order to survive the current health insurance crisis that I'm certain that all of us have felt uh, over the last several years. These, along with other circumstances, have made for some very difficult adjustments to my life and my routine. So in many respects, it has been a year that it has been years that have been full of difficulty and yet full of blessing, full of trials, full of sorrow, and yet full of a very real and familiar joy. I've been reminded often of the opening lines of one of my favorite books by Charles Dickens, A a Tale of Two Cities. Many of you I know are probably familiar with that popular novel's opening words. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You you say, what's the point? What's the point? Well, beloved, I think that the writer of this letter to the Hebrews has been driving this one especially important point home as he points us all to our only comfort in both life and in death. And it's this. It's only when we see the trials of this life for what they truly are that we are brought into a true and much more full understanding of the innumerable blessings that are ours. In Jesus Christ. It brings us to the closing point that the writer is making here at the end of this 12th chapter. As I look back on those difficult times in my life over the last several years, I cannot escape the fact that amid every single one of those trials, there was joy. As I think about the loss of my father, whom many of you know I was very close to, I loved him very much, I cannot help but to remember the love and the support that so many of you poured out towards me and my family during that difficult time. I remember the cards and the phone calls. I remember distinctly the elders making sure that I had ample time to minister to my father in the last several weeks of his life, both physically and spiritually. I remember well this congregation's outpouring of love during that time, and it causes me to rejoice, even and especially in the presence of my sorrow. I'll always be thankful for all I'll always be thankful to all of you for that. And I praise God for the love that I routinely see manifested in this congregation. 
And as I think about the difficult time of watching my dear wife struggle with the pain of her injury and the excruciating pain that she had to endure following some difficulties that she experienced after surgery, I remember that horrible feeling I had in the pit of my stomach as they were wheeling her into surgery for the second time in just a couple of days. It was difficult. But when I think of it, I can't help but to think coming out of her room, being beside myself with sorrow and and fear, being distraught. And there was Randy Schroeder sitting there just waiting to put his arm around me, to be a comfort to me in any way that he could. And I think of going down to the surgical waiting room and seeing many of you sitting there all of whom I love dearly and who were a tremendous encouragement to me just by being there. I think of all of you who told me how you were praying for her and seeing the love and the compassion in your eyes when you'd ask about her. It was an encouragement to me. I think of the days that followed and all the love that we were shown through cards and meals and helping to care for our children and doing laundry and all of the things that we were unable to keep up with. I hope that you're beginning to see the point that I would like to make this morning. Because I really could go on all day. And I say it all to say this. One of the things that I am far and away the most grateful for in this difficult life is often the thing that I take for granted. And it's the church of Jesus Christ. We have been given such a blessing in this life and that we have not been left alone. But amid the most violent storms of this life, we not only have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ our Lord, but because of Him, because of His wonderful work of redemption, we have been made a part of a kingdom which we are told in this beautiful passage this morning that simply cannot be shaken. We are part of a kingdom that no matter what comes up against it, we know from the pages of Holy Scripture, even the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So this morning, I'd like to look a little bit closer at the blessing that we've been given and that we have been made a part of the unshakable kingdom of God. What a blessing that should be for all of us as we make our pilgrimages through this veil of tears that we call life. With hearts that are filled to the bursting with very real thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that truly ought to shape the way we live this life. So I'd like you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Hebrews chapter 12, again, picking up with verse 25, reading through the end of the chapter with verse 29. Hear now the word of our Lord. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace 
by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity that we have to come before your word. We pray that your spirit would fill us this morning. I pray that I would correctly and accurately handle your word in a way that it is true food to nourish faith within us as your people. We ask you to clear our hearts and our minds from the many, many things that distract us in this life, and that we would be able to give our undivided attention to your word and the hope that we might be transformed by it for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at the end of this 12th chapter of this letter written to the Hebrews, we see once again that word that really should always grab our attention and force us to look back and to consider what has already been said. You can remember that many times over the last several months as we have looked together at this epistle, I have said whenever we see a word like therefore, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it therefore? What is it pointing us back towards before we consider what it's saying in light of in light of that thing or those things. So we must put this verse into its context by looking at what the therefore is pointing us towards. So in this case, in order to just sort of narrow it down, we could say that it's pointing us all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11, when the author of the Hebrews defines faith in this way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Then, of course, follows that very well-known section in Hebrews 11, which we have just recently spent a considerable amount of time looking at together, faith in Jesus Christ. As the writer of this letter gives to us a sketch, if you will, of one in the same faith manifested in the lives of the saints throughout biblical history. He begins with Abel, and he goes all the way through the times of the judges, even getting into the reign of King David and the time of the prophets. We know that it's by no means a comprehensive list, and it stands out to us as consisting of a remarkably diverse list of characters, to say the very least. He includes such people ranging from the patriarch Abraham to the harlot Rahab, showing how all of them persevered through one and the same faith, all of it to the glory of God. Then at the beginning of chapter 12, he ties them to you and I and that we are all a part of the same faith. We are all one people together. And he makes that wonderful statement there at the beginning of chapter 12. He says, therefore, we also, that is, along with that list of the saints of old that he has just mentioned, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of whom we know are singularly attesting to the wonderful faithfulness of Almighty God, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
and throughout this chapter, the writer of this letter encourages these Hebrews, and us for that matter, by pointing out to us that we should not grow weary in our fight. We should not lose hope. We should not give way to fear because we have been given a new and better covenant. We're no longer coming to Mount Sinai where even Moses himself trembled at the sound of the thunder and at the spectacle of fire and smoke upon the mountain, where he would receive the law with its curses and its blessings. But according to verse 22, we are coming, because of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we are coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And here is where he begins to describe the kingdom that we are being given and made a part of in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, We are coming to an innumerable company of angels in festal array, to the general assembly of, in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Because of this new covenant, where our mediator, Jesus Christ, has freely given his own blood, has sprinkled us with the blood that is far better than that which was acceptable when it was offered by Abel, namely his own precious blood, we are now presented as those who have our foundation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who will one day be presented as his spotless bride before the Father, being entirely justified because the blood of Jesus Christ has been given to us as a covering for our sin and our shame. And you understand, we looked at it last week, it's a vastly different scene upon Zion from that of Sinai. And then finally, there is a warning that is terrifying and yet ought to absolutely strengthen the hands that hang down at the same time. The author says in verse 25 through 27, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Beloved, do you get a sense here of the hope that is ours, that is blowing down, if you will, from Mount Zion? Now I realize that's a lot of background. But I want to say it's essential for us to know it in order to answer the question that of necessity arises when we hear about those who cannot be shaken. Who are those who cannot be shaken, but who will remain steadfast for eternity? Well, it's those of us who truly have been sprinkled with the perfect, spotless, righteous blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you see the beautiful picture being drawn here for you? You are most certainly blessed to be a part of this local congregation 
or gathering of those who have been called out by Almighty God. That's what the word in the Greek for church literally means. It's ekklesia, the called out ones. We are all blessed to be gathered within this particular body where the love of Christ has been clearly manifested and it's glorious. But the picture is even more spectacular than that. We are not just a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the called out ones here in Napoleon. We are part of the church, the called out ones from antiquity. We, by faith in Jesus, are brothers and sisters with Noah and Abraham and Rahab and Peter and John and Paul. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken because its foundation is rooted in the perfect faithfulness of its king. And its king is a rock that cannot and will not ever be moved. Do you see, beloved, what it is that we must be thankful for? Not just today, but every single second that we draw precious breath into our lungs. We have received an unshakable kingdom. And we have been made the subjects of an unshakable, faithful, loving, and merciful king. And so we of all people have so much to be grateful for. That's the message here. We are part of something that is so much bigger than we are, so much larger than every single one of our problems. It is a glorious work of Almighty God. And because of His mercy alone, we are privileged to not just be a part of some kingdom, but the kingdom, the only kingdom which will endure for eternity. You see, history is full of kingdoms. It's full of kingdoms that showed flickering little glimpses of glory, dim, shadowy glimpses of power, but that all ultimately failed and faded away like the grass. Not one will remain. Not one has the staying power of this particular kingdom. This kingdom alone is eternal. It goes beyond this life where we struggle day to day, fighting with our flesh and its attraction to all things sinful and awful. We know that we are walking, talking battlefields in this life, the flesh being at war with the very spirit of Almighty God within us. But beloved, even in this veil of tears, even in this troubled life, you and I have reason to rejoice because though we are at war, we have also been given the peace that passes all understanding. We have been made to cling to the rock of ages, the King Eternal, the one who leads us, the one who cannot and who will not ever be moved. You see, our hope lies beyond this earth and it's flickering little glimpses of glory to a glory that is eternal in the heavenlies. And we have it right now. Do you believe that this morning? That you possess eternal life right now with all of its blessings? 
We have it right now in a, in a limited capacity and we can't even imagine what it'll be like once this fading and fleeting life is gone. When we will go to the very throne of our King and sing His praises together, not through this veiled life, but face to face. Where we are promised that our tears will be wiped away forever to never return. Where pain and sickness and death and grief and sin and disappointment are done away with forever in the presence of our King. Where we will worship the Lamb upon His throne, singing out with the saints from antiquity, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. Beloved, are you thankful for the gift of God and even making you a part of it? It's so easy to get caught up in all the things that we're disappointed in. It's so easy to to get caught up in all those things that don't matter. It's so easy for us to look disdainfully even upon the church of Jesus Christ. And the writer of this letter to the Hebrews wants you to stop and to think about what it is that you've been given in the church. It would be impossible to see what God in His infinite mercy has made you a part of and be anything other than grateful. It would be impossible to know that Jesus Christ came and died for your sin, died for your shame, that you did nothing to move Him towards you. You only do things that should repel Him. But because of His love, because of His mercy, He gives you grace purchases you through his precious blood to be a part of his kingdom. You deserve wrath and he gives you grace. Not just the grace of having your sins forgiven, but even the grace that makes you a part of something that is so much larger than you yourself are. You, by the grace of Almighty God alone, through faith alone, itself the very gift of God, you trust in Jesus Christ alone, and you're made an heir of our Father in heaven, a co-heir with Christ, an heir of eternal life, and every blessing in Jesus Christ. Not the least of which is being a part of his beloved bride, the church. So I'm asking you this morning, are you grateful this morning? For the gift of God and making you a part of the church of Jesus Christ. His glorious bride. Have you even begun to consider the way in which our God deals with us? We're so prone to think that God wants us to be first and foremost givers in our relationship with That is, we think that what we need to do is just do something for God. We must somehow show God that we are serious, and so we we start looking for some way to attract His attention, even maybe impress Him. We have to understand, God is the pursuer in this relationship. He calls us to be receivers first, not givers The giving only comes after the receiving. We receive grace and we are justified through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. We're made part of the glorious bride of Christ where we share the same faith, not just with these 
who are with us each and every Lord's Day, but with all of the saints from antiquity. We receive because of His love, His mercy, His compassion, and nothing of our own. Because what do we truly have to give? What do you have to give to the Lord of glory this morning? Beloved, it's only our sin and our shame. That's what we have to offer. Christ takes it upon Himself and He gives to us His perfect righteousness. We are the receivers in the kingdom of God. Do you understand? You have received this kingdom because the King Himself purchased you. Not just with the things that we hold dear in this world for value. He purchased you with His precious blood. He made you His subject. We bring nothing, and we receive everything in the kingdom of God. And now we stand in this world, a hostile world, a world that openly hates our king, knowing that in our king we truly are unshakable. The things of this world, even hell itself, holds no ability to terrify us any longer because of Jesus Christ our King. Now we stand here together week after week. We raise our voices together in praise and adoration of our King. Not alone. Not in isolation from one another. We do it together. Even our praises flow from hearts that are what they are solely because of His grace. Charles Spurgeon once said, every hymn that goes up from the saints made perfect is but the echo of almighty love. Beloved, I want you to stop this morning and ask yourself, do you see the fullness of the blessings of your redemption and that you are now a viable part of the kingdom of God because of the love that the king has for those whom he has purchased? You see, beloved, that is the response to recognition of the nature of the kingdom that God in His grace has given to you and made you a part of. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. How do we serve God acceptably? With reverence and fear. That word there is sort of a confusing one in the Greek. It's the word charis, which means when it's used in this way, thankful. But it's also the same word when you, that's used often when talking about God's grace. It literally means a gift, kindness, or thankfulness. It is gospel grace, the work of the Spirit which produces faith, which is manifested in our serving God and His kingdom. Genuine works born out of Holy Spirit-fueled gratitude, producing obedience in the people of God as they live out lives of thankfulness before His face. That is what's being considered here. We serve God acceptably when we are profoundly grateful for the work that He has done for us. When we are thankful for the work of Jesus Christ, taking the penalty our sin deserves, Because only he could endure it. 
It is gratitude that we have not been left to fight the fight of faith in a hostile world alone, but we've been made a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Beloved, have you considered that we together are being made into the beautiful, radiant bride of Jesus Christ? God has given us one another to endure trials with, to suffer and struggle with, to share in one another's joys with. We are part of an eternal kingdom, led by an eternal king, who is even now not just sitting waiting for us to wait on him, but who is in heaven, we are told in the word of God, acting as our advocate at the right hand of the Father. He's even paved the way for us to approach the very throne of God in prayer. All these rights and privileges given to us because of the redemptive work of King Jesus. Almighty God has made us his children, his heirs, his subjects. Beloved, once your eyes have seen it, once your heart has been opened by the very spirit of Almighty God, you will serve him acceptably because, quite frankly, you can do no other. You can live as his subject knowing there is no force on this earth, above it or beneath it, that could ever for even a second shake this kingdom in a way that it would fail. We we know why, right? Why is this kingdom unshakable? Because it is founded upon the rock. Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it is sure at the level of its foundation, it cannot and it will not ever fail. Do you take hope in that? Beloved, it is well and good to appreciate the blessings that we have on this earth. We should be grateful for our families. We should be grateful for our loved ones, for relationships, for our friends, for the bountiful provision that flows to us from the loving hand of God. We do well to acknowledge it. But I want to challenge you this morning to think on those things that go well beyond this fleeting life. I want you to think of the blessing of being a citizen of Zion. I want you to think that one day you will be arrayed in your white robe worshiping the king upon his throne in the brilliance and glory of heaven when where sin no longer thrives but will have been entirely eradicated from the people of God. The kingdom will be perfected as we, the subjects of the kingdom, take off what is corruptible and put on what is incorruptible. We will be perfected and presented as the radiant, glorious bride of Jesus Christ before the Father in heaven. Though we know that now we are wretched, sinners. God, by His grace, has saved us for His glory. He's given for us to be in the kingdom of glory, an eternal kingdom that cannot and will not ever be moved. We can't overlook this. 
It's so easy to look disparagingly on the church because we look at the church and we see each other's flaws. We see where we disappoint one another, where we fall short of the calling that we've been given. Beloved, I want you to understand that if you have glimpsed this kingdom, then you do not need to be told that you need to be grateful. Not just thankful with your words, but with your heart and your life, with your entire being as you live out your days to the glory of God, longing for that day when we'll see our King in glory face to face. Are you thankful for the person and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord and the blessings that are ours only in Him as members of the unshakable church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Beloved, we cannot afford to take that blessing for granted. Amen? Let's pray.